Hey guys, welcome to the James Gang Bible Study. We are glad that all of you are here. We're in for a special treat tonight. Brother Steve Joy was going to be bringing us the word. Steve is a commercial pilot. He has flown for our country in Desert Storm, and currently he flies for, well, he's taking a break right now, but currently he flies for FedEx, and he's a father of three beautiful daughters and a son that likes to race cars. And he's a man of God, and you're going to be blessed to hear the word through him. Let's pray, and then, Steve, I'll turn it to you. Lord, we thank you for Steve. We ask you, Lord, to use him mightily to declare your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Steve is also a husband to a lovely woman named Mary. Steve Joy, come right on. Today, we're looking at James, chapter 5, verses 13 through 18, and... Uh, Joe, can you read that for us? Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Through 18, did it we say? Yeah, all the way through the end of 18. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Very good. Thank you. Thank you. So this is the end of James. Uh, we have one more lesson after this as far as from the scripture, and then I think a conclusion. And so um, first off, I'm very humbled because after coming through such a uh, large group of men that did an incredible job, it seems like there's hardly anything left to, to teach. But I think that we might find some interesting things here these verses seem to be about prayer. Uh, There's some specific things they say, but but it starts off with, um, you know, if if anybody is uh, suffering, let them pray. If anyone's cheerful, let them sing psalms. And it goes into healing. And these these are this whole section is about prayer. And so that's kind of what I'm focusing on tonight. And Kind of the first thing I noticed is, since this is seems to be at the end of the book, and, you know, we've been, in James, we've been talking about trials, doers of the word, faith, taming of the tongue, pride, humility, patience, endurance, and a whole variety of things that James instructs us to do uh, in our daily walk. And then he kind of wraps it up with prayer. And that, that kind of caught my interest. And as I looked around through the scripture, because um, there's only two more verses in this entire book. I looked at 1 Peter, um, verses, uh, chapter 5, which is the last <laughs> chapter. Verses 10 and 11 talks about praying. And there's only three more verses. And 1 John has, you know, within six verses of the end of the book, it has about praying in Hebrews and Ephesians. And I'm, I'm seeing kind of a pattern that through, through many of the letters, not certainly not all of them, but through many of the letters, we see they kind of start to wrap it up with prayer. And I think the reason they're doing that is because they're emphasizing the importance of prayer, sort of like in a musical piece, as you build up to, uh, I think what uh, Sheikh told me was called a crescendo, as it builds up to this pivotal moment where something happens. And as we go through looking at how to accomplish these other instructions, that we've gotten through the book of James, if we don't wrap it up with prayer, it's going to be very difficult to do it best because our prayers are lifeline with God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so they're telling us all these things that we should be trying to accomplish, have patience, be doers of the words, have faith. But if we're not in prayer and communication with the Father, we're not going to have the tools to accomplish any of the rest. And so the first thing I noticed is this 
the, the position, I'm calling it positional place in the scriptures, the prayer kind of is the conclusion of how do we accomplish these things. Um, and I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, you know, I kind of think of prayer like a coach in a, in a professional team. You have the team, whether it be football or basketball, the coach is on the side calling the shots. And if the team loses communication with the coach, they're probably not going to do very well in the game. You know, there's, you know, particularly in football, they're looking at the sidelines and seeing what the coach is going to call. They're making their adjustments, you know, and they, and they continue to have this dialogue. Well, you know, God the Father's like our coach. He's, he's guiding us through our steps. And if we're not in communication with him, just like a team on a, on a sports field, we're going to be lost. We need that help. We need that guidance. We need the experience and the wisdom of someone who knows far more about it than we do. So um, as I look at prayer, there are several things that, that kind of catch my eye. You know, one thing is, is why do we pray? I mean, you know, if you think about it, um, you know, why do we pray? You know, we pray when we need something. You know, typically as human beings, we kind of pray when, you know, what we call the 911 prayer. You know, oh, I'm in trouble. I need to, to talk to God. Um, Lord, you know, uh, I lost my job or my, I can't make the house payment or somebody's sick. We do these 911 prayers, and you know what? Those are important. We need to do 911 prayers. If praying is the first thing we think about when we're in trouble, you know what? That's a really good thing. That means that we're thinking about, you know, there's the source of somebody who can really help me. 911 prayers are really good. But if all we're doing is 911 prayers, then we're going to miss out on the full experience of what God has for us. Because, you know, you think about all of us, or most of us probably have children or have worked with children. You know, they only know so much. And we have as, as a, a parents or, or people who influence kids, they only learn what we show them. You know, so the more we show them, the more they learn. And I think about uh, my daughters when they get ready to want to drive a car. And I start to throw out things like, you know, if you got good grades, your insurance would be a lot less. And you can afford to drive a car. If I can trust you and you're telling me the truth and I'm trusting you, then I'm going to feel more comfortable about letting you use my car. But if you're not getting good grades and I don't trust you, then I'm going to have difficulty allowing you to drive my car and you're going to miss out on the benefit that comes from being my, my child because you're not heeding my advice. And so if there's not this communication going, if I'm, not, if I'm not telling them that, then they don't know. And if we're not having dialogue, then they don't know. But then there's the responsibility of once we do know, if we don't act on it, we also lose the blessing. And so as, as we pray, you know, we think of it as a one-way street. But really, there's a, lot, there's a two-way, there's two-way dialogue going on there. And we don't always hear it. In an audible voice. In fact, that's fairly rare. So we have to begin to look at the ways we can receive the information back. And, you know, one way is by reading the scripture. You know, there's, there's Jesus made the statement, if you love me, you will obey my commands. If you, you know, I command you to love one another. He tells us on how to do some things. We don't read in here what those commands are. If we don't read in here how to love one another, then we're not going to be equipped to be able to understand when God begins to put things in our path. The first, the very best source of understanding how God's responding to your prayer is understanding what the scriptures have already told us. Because that's God's direct voice saying, you got to start here. You have to start, you know, putting me, love God with all your heart and mind and soul and love your neighbor as yourself, and love one another as I have loved you. You have to start with what he's already said before you're going to begin, begin to glean more information. And then secondly, you know, part of this scripture in James is where it talks about this 
if anybody is sick, let him call the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of the faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven. It's kind of interesting. Go to the elders. Now, why would we want to do that? Why would we want to go to the elders of the church to pray? Well, in First Timothy, it gives us some guidance on who the elders are, what their qualifications are. And these are righteous men. These are men who have established uh, control of their households. They, they've demonstrated wisdom. They are, they are mature in their attitude. They have a walk with Christ. And the scripture says, even in the books of James, the prayers of a righteous man avail much. So as we're praying and we're looking for how God's responding, if we go to the elders, we can glean from their wisdom. You know, if, if I'm sick and have lung cancer, and I come to the elders of the church and I say, hey, I just found I have lung cancer. Can you pray for me? And they lay hands and pray for me, because, and they will. But if I'm a three-pack-a-day smoker, they might also say, by the way, you might want to stop doing this thing that's causing the cancer. And that's a real easy thing to see. But as we walk out a Christian life, the elders are the ones should have the wisdom to say, you know, I notice that I, that I see you cheating on your wife. Or I notice that you're embezzling. Or there's an area of character that we have. We talked last week about character and integrity. And one of the things that by going to the elders of the church, as they pray over you, God might speak to them to speak to you about how to position yourself to be able to receive the blessings that prayer has to offer. Um, and, you know, looking at that verse a little bit more, and I'm going to get into it a little further, it, it talks about, and the prayer of the faith will save the sick, and he will be ra- and raise him up, and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven. I think that's pretty interesting. Um, there's a, uh, a verse. Hey, get Greg to look that up. Oh, wait a minute. Greg. No. Um, Matthew 9, 1 through 7 is a uh, some verses about a man who Jesus heals on the Sabbath. Down there? Mm-hmm. Ready? Yep. So he got into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own city. Then behold, they brought to him, lying on a bed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. And at once some of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemes. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Arise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And he arose and departed to his house. (coughs) Notice the correlation there about the forgiveness of sins and also being healed. Here, in James, it says that the prayer of the faith will save the sick, the Lord will raise them up, and if he's committed sins, they'll be forgiven. Now, Jesus is telling us here in Matthew that the the raising up of the sick is the easier of the things to do, that it's more important and more difficult to forgive the sin. And Jesus has the authority to do that. And, you know, in this demonstration, Jesus, when they brought a sick man to him, he looked at him and said, your sins are forgiven. And then as a result of the commotion, oh, and just to show I, I have that authority, get up and walk. 
And I think that if we look at these verses here, we have to ask ourselves the question, does every time we pray for someone to become well, do they, do, do they get well? You know, we have Aaron Gomez, who's been in a coma for a couple of years. And I promise you, there's a lot of people who have prayed over Aaron. And I know the elders have prayed over him. And yet, he's not getting up and walking. But I bet his sins are forgiven. And I, and I bet there's a purpose in what God's doing. You know, we know lots of people who we've prayed for. You know, and I'm going to tell you, when Alan asked me to do this lesson, it was the very week I found out that I was going to have to have open-heart surgery last November. And Alan said, well, then you should be teaching on healing. <laughs> and so I did what the Scripture says. I went to the elders of the church. They anointed my head with oil. They laid hands on me. They prayed for me. And I got to have a surgery. <laughs> and, you know, if we look at the Scripture, Paul leaves people behind numerous times. Someone who gets sick, and he, they, they leave them. Because Paul has to move on. He's got a job to do. They can't go with him. You know, so we begin to look at how is prayer answered? You know, we like to think about prayer being answered in, you know, when I pray and I need something, I tell the Lord, you know, I'll give you examples of heart surgery. Lord, from my eyes and from my mind, not having to have surgery looks like the very best thing for me. You know, if I'm having financial problems, well, Lord, if, if my boss would just give me a raise, if I just get a check at the mailbox for $5,000, you know, you know that, those problems would be solved. You know, the Scripture says, you have not because you ask not. Ask anything in my name and I will do it. So why don't I see the results that I want to see? And we have, to, we have to closely look at the Scriptures, and the Scriptures indicate that we have to pray it in Jesus' name, but also in his will. You know, we have to realize that there is a perception issue. You know, we look at things from this side of eternity through eyes and bodies that are laced with sin. We can't help it. We're born into it, and we choose to sin by volition. We are handicapped because we can't see the big picture. And even when we get even some glimpses, we might have a dream, we might hear a word from the Lord, it's still biased by our sinful thoughts, our sinful minds. And so when I pray to the Lord, Lord, this is the way I think it should be done, and I don't see that result, then I have to remind myself, it's not that God didn't answer me. He's either answering me yes, he's answering no, he's answering you might have to wait, but he is answering me. It just may not be that he's answering the way that I had lined out. Um, you know, I got divorced back around 2001 or something like that. And I went to work after that, after, and it was a traumatic time for me, and it was a hard time in court. And, you know, I got beat up pretty bad by the judge and the lawyers and all that. And I went up to work, and I was sitting there at the hub in Memphis where I work, and I had to wait about four or five hours before my flight took off. And I thought, you know, now's the time for me to have my own little pity party. And I'm going to, you know, several of my friends that I work with, they know what's going on. And, you know, I'm going to let them feel sorry for me. And I've got this plan on how I'm just going to just have my pity party. And I'm sitting there, and here comes a friend of mine. And I, and uh, he said, and, you know, and I think I've been through this. Why didn't God answer my prayers? But, you know, why did I have to have this experience? And here comes this friend of mine. And he said, I said, hey, how's it going? Thinking that here's the first guy that can show me pity. 
feel sorry for me. He goes, he looked at me and said, terrible. My wife just locked me out. She's filed for divorce, and I don't know what to do. Oh, well, let me sit down and talk to you a little bit about, you know, <laughs> being in the Word and having faith and stuff like that. And, you know, we talked for about an hour, and he got up, and he walked away. And here, and literally he is walking away, and here comes another friend walking right towards me. Okay, my turn. Hey, how's it going? The guy looked at me and said, terrible. My wife just locked me out. She filed for divorce, and I don't know what to do. And so I sat and talked to him for about an hour. And then he got up. And you know what I did when he got up? I packed up my old bag and my computer, and I moved. Because that's a bad spot. <laughs> so I walked all the way across the hub. Okay. And here's a friend of mine, okay. and he said, hey, how did the divorce come out? And I said, oh, man. Man, terrible. She won. And, and then from across the way there, some guy looked at me and said, hey. And I don't even know who this guy is. Just, did you just get a divorce? I said, yeah, man, it's so sad. He goes, oh, I needed to ask you some questions because my wife just locked me out. And and oh, and man. do this, and I said, and, and I needed some advice. And I thought, well, this is no good. So we go out to the airplane, and we take off, and I thought, we got a weekend that we're going to be gone. And we're climbing out of the airplane, and this is a three-man airplane with a flight engineer, and I think, well, now I'm finally going to get to where I want to be. And this engineer's back there moaning, going through about 10,000 feet. I look back, are you all right? And he said, no. My wife just locked me out, filed for divorce, and I don't know what to do. And, and I looked and said, okay, Lord, because I made the statement going up there, I don't know how God can use someone in my condition. You know? And here, and I looked up, and I said, okay, I repent. I said, but listen, God, I have this list of ministries that I want to do. I have it all figured out. And this didn't make the list. This type of ministry isn't the ministry I'm looking to do. God said, you know what? I know what's not on your list. But it was the top of my list. And I'm going to tell you, our perspectives can be very deceptive. We look at things and we have no idea how God's going to use whatever we're going through. And when we pray for stuff, we have to realize that our perceptions can make us feel like the answers are wrong. And we have to trust what we know to be right. And what we know is the Scripture said God loves us. He says in John 3:16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Now, I'm going to tell you what, that's true love. He sacrificed on my behalf when he didn't have to. And I need to understand, as I'm dealing in prayer, that God's got a totally different perspective. And so as we look at someone like Aaron Gomez, you know, what if God spoke to Aaron and said, you know what, I'll take you home now, or if you lay in this bed in this coma for a couple of years, your parents are going to minister to some key people who are going to have children who are going to evangelize tens of thousands of people. Is it worth sitting in the coma for a couple of years? Because we assume because we can't speak to Aaron, that God can't either. That would be a terrible assumption to make because God has the ability to communicate to everybody at every level that's so beyond our understanding. You know, the... Um, yeah, I probably lost my place in the notes here. You know, Joe made a statement in his lesson two weeks ago about how we see life. We tend to look at life as a slice of pie, a slice of life, a week, a, a day, a week, a month, a year. And we, we evaluate our position, our life, or how someone else is doing based on what we see right now. You know, if you'd come and evaluated me in November, laying in a hospital, you know, with my chest split open, you might not think that life was treating me too well. 
you know. But I'm going to tell you that even though I didn't want to go through that, God gave me some real ministry opportunities that I wouldn't have gotten any other way. And as a as a man, which one of us, if if the Lord came and said, "Hey, Alan, I'm going to minister to your children if you have this surgery," would you do it? If the Lord says, "I'm going to promise to minister to your children if you do a surgery, if you'll just go through the surgery," and I think most of us probably would do it. Because, you know, the Lord's going to minister our kids. But what if it's someone else's kid? What if God's chosen you to minister to someone else's kids by going through a surgery? And, you know, I don't know. I don't have the big picture, and I don't know how things turned out. But I do know that God brought people into my into my hospital room that I got to talk to them about scriptural things, biblical things, got to pray with them. Um, and... I believe from the observations that there was a purpose in all that. The scripture clearly tells us that a man's steps are ordered. And if we're praying, and if we look at, if we look at prayers like, um, I'm looking for the verse. Here are some of the people that prayed about stuff, and it didn't seem to, didn't seem to work out for them at the time. You know, if you look at the beginning of Job, I mean, Job's just sitting around trying to worship God, and he ends up losing everything, body covered with sores, and really probably the laughing stock, laying out in the street with dust all over him. His friends came and sat with him, but I imagine there's a lot of people that were making fun of him. You know, didn't look like God was blessing him too much. But in the end, God restored him. But he didn't just restore him. He gave him confidence. And he made Job pray for the other people. The um, Jesus in the garden, Luke twenty-two forty-two. Who Who can read that one? Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. That's Jesus. Jesus praying, Father, take this cup from me. You know what? I think Jesus was being real, being very real. Going to die on a cross didn't look like a good time to him. Lord, I don't want to do that. But not my will, but thy will. And Jesus got crucified. You know, uh, Matthew seventeen nineteen through twenty one. Who's got that one? Someone else can look up Second Corinthians twelve verses seven through ten. Anybody got the Matthew verse? Go time. Uh, 17. And Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him. The child was cured for that very hour. And then the disciples to Jesus apart said, Why could we not cast him out? Right, the disciples had already tried, and it didn't work out for them. They laid hands, they prayed, they commanded the Spirit to leave. Jesus' response was because this one requires prayer and fasting. But no, no. I'm sorry. Because Jesus said, "Then because of your unbelief, verily I say to you, if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you'll see this mountain removed, hence and to yonder place, and shall be removed." Nothing shall be impossible. To he, you. Uses, yeah. he uses the the uh, prayer and fasting as an example because it already seems right. to touch people, 
spent and all this other stuff. That's to say what, what is what is has to do with their lack of faith. Right. Thank you. That right there brought to mind because I, I don't know who Aaron is. I, I'm not familiar with that situation. Uh, and and I have received hands laid on me in this building and and had healing. I've gotten somewhat involved in healing in the last two years. It's it's a mystery to me. No, it's a mystery to all of us because healing is a mystery. The, the amount of it that I've that I've seen is just I, I don't I'm not looking for it, but the faith part of it. I find when I read this was about the time I was here in Neil, and I thought, wow, what faith these men had. And I read and I read this passage that night, and I I thought. How do you get it? Do you grab it out of the air? How do you get that? Where do you grab it from? Um, how do you know the other guys got it? And so forth and so on. I can only, by example, ever happen to me once that I know I had it and I was a part of the healing. I sat in a little church about 15 rows in the back on the aisle, and a lady was being prayed for front. Righteous people there, and I knew them, and they the prayer team. And the next thing I know, I'm standing with them. I knew this older lady, knew of her, and I felt a heavy heart for her, because what is, what, her circumstances. And I joined in. I don't know how I got up there. When I got back to my seat, my wife said, I've never seen you do that. I said, I've never seen me do that. And it was a matter of following a voice or an instinct or something. At that point, I understood taking the credit for or yielding to God's grace and love and restoring. You have to be careful in drawing that line and understanding where it is. And I did. I, I was. I wept. Got a phone call an hour later when we got home to church that she was cured. Amen. <laughs> Up. Amen. Walking Amen. on her own. Well, and and that's that's an amazing testimony. Um, and you at you made the statement about I don't understand faith, and you know there's a lot I don't understand about. It. The point I'm going to try to make here is I'm showing examples of men of great faith not getting answers to the prayer. Who's got the Second Corinthians verse? Go ahead, JP. Unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in the infirmity, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distress, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I have become a fool in boasting, you have compelled me, for ought to have been commended by you, for in nothing was I behind the most eminent apostles, though I am nothing. Truly the signs of an apostle of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance and signs and wonders and mighty deeds. So that's the apostle Paul. Thank you, JP. Talking about a thorn in the flesh. You know, and theologically, there's a lot of debate about what that thorn might have been. We don't know. Uh, some people think it was a temptation that he was struggling with. Some people think it was a physical handicap. Uh, I've heard uh, uh, different theologians say they think it was his eyesight because 
He had to have other people sometimes write some of his letters for him. We don't know. What we do know is it's real. And we know that it was a struggle for him and that he pleaded with the Lord three on three different occasions. And the Lord came back and said, you know, my grace is sufficient. And Paul understood that that thorn in the flesh might have been there to keep him from getting prideful. Because he goes right into this discourse about pride. And how that, how he now is proud to boast in his weakness and allowing Christ to work through us. You know, and so where I'm going with this is these are guys that are champions of the faith. There's no question that Paul had a lot of faith, that the disciples had a lot of faith, that Jesus was the master of faith. And yet their prayers, from the way we read the scriptures, weren't answered in the affirmative. It was, you know, and particularly with Paul, if this is a healing, he's not being healed. And he's left people along the road who he couldn't heal. So what's going on? You know, why do people sometimes get answers that seem to be contrary to what we would believe to be a good thing? Because we can't see it from God's perspective. We're laced through the vision of sinful eyes, and we're clouded by our own selfishness, and we look and say, Lord, don't you see this would be the right way to do it? And I almost think he must chuckle at us and say, you know, I can see how you would see it that way. How many of you have had a kid, you know, when they're asking for something, they've got it all figured out on just exactly how to ask you. They've got a logic built out. Well, if you let me drive the car, then I'll be able to go to the grocery store and get the things you need, swing by the school, pick up my brother or sister, come back so that you can have some time to relax, which you so earnestly deserve. And that child has got it all figured out on how to present that to us in a way that to them seems like makes a lot of sense. And we look at them and say, you don't have a driver's license. Are you out of your mind? I'm not going to let you do that. And I think that a lot of times in prayer, that's exactly how we approach God. Because we've got it all figured out. In our heads, through our perspective, and God will say, are you out of your mind? I'd never let anybody do that. And, you know, he looks at me and says, and certainly not you. <laughs> so, you know, we got to be careful that when we don't see the results that we expect to make assumptions about faith. I mean, there are things that the Scripture clearly says that hinders our prayers. There's sin, for example. You know, there are people who are caught up in sin. There's, there are uh, Isaiah 59, verses 1 to 2. Who wants to give us that one? hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor is his ear heavy that he cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that you will not hear. That kind of fits in with verse 16, doesn't it? Confess mm-hmm. your faults one another, mm-hmm. pray for one another that you may be healed. That's right. Mm-hmm. Says, the Lord says he's certainly more than capable. His ears haven't stopped hearing. His, his hand's still capable. But our own sin has separated us. You know, that's a, that's a possibility. It's one of the reasons we go to the elders. You know, it also talks about confess your sins to one another. Because if we're confessing our sins, if we're going to the elders and getting them to pray over us, then they can give us a wisdom on how to become free of the bondage so that we can have our prayers heard a little better. Now, there are some denominations that would tell you there's a formula, you know, go through this ritual or say these particular prayers and everything will be okay. That's not what we're getting at here. What we're getting at here is if there's a root that's inhibiting you to getting from the Father, that needs to be un- un- unveiled and corrected. Um, and that sin can hold us back from seeing the fulfillment of our sin, in our, our prayers. And really, it's really hurting us all along. We, we just don't know it. 
you know, there's another um, thing that could hinder us, and that's just unbelief. Mm. Unbelief that God would really do it for me or can do it at all. And, um, you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to paraphrase some verses in Numbers. In Numbers chapter 13, um, verses 30, going into chapter 14, 11 through 12, um, this is the story of uh, Joshua. This is um, this is where they're told. I'm sorry, this is not Joshua. This is Numbers. Let me look it up. Oh, I'm sorry. This is when the uh, Israelites send the spies into uh, Egypt. They get to Egypt. Moses is told, he sends 12 spies, and God has told him he's going to give them the land. This land is for you. Go in and look around and see the riches of the land. Come back and bring us a report. Tell us how big the guys are or how small they are, how many they are, the size of the cities. We need to have some information. We need to know what God has given us. So go do that. And the spies come back, and they give a report. Well, the land's got lots of good things. They bring back a thing of, of grapes. They say it's, it's full of milk and honey. It's rich with this and that. And there are people. There are a lot of people there, and they're big. They're 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 they they're giants. And then they add something to the commission that wasn't given to them. They add, and by the way, there's no way we can win this battle. You know. Now they weren't asked to give a commentary on how well they could or couldn't do it. They chose to throw that out. The un, they gave unbelief a foothold. And God said, because of their unbelief, this generation will walk 40 years in the wilderness. They, an unbelief separated them from the blessings that God had for them. Now, for, let's fast forward 40 years later in the book of Joshua, chapter 6, they're getting ready to go into the land. There's this massive city in front of them called Jericho. It's got these big walls around it. And they're instructed, and God says, I am going to give you that city. And he talks through Joshua, speaks through Joshua, and they are told to march for days, to march around the city. Don't say anything. I think God was tired of the grumbling. Don't say anything. They weren't allowed to speak until Joshua said, when I tell you, you shot. But don't say anything. No mumbling, no grumbling. And they marched around that city, was it seven days? Six days. Six days. And then when they were told, they shouted. And the walls just fell in. And they fell inwards. And nobody in the Israel from Israel was harmed in any way. Their enemy was defeated. They didn't have to do anything but be obedient to what God. And God delivered Jericho into their hands. The difference between unbelief, walking in the wilderness for 40 years, and belief, the city just falls right in front of them. You know, Pastor Allen talked this past Sunday about the story about the the guy who came and asked the king for... Uh, Education for his son, a dowry for his wife, and a farm. He asked the egg. And he knew that that king could give it to him. You know, when we pray, whether or not we see the results that we expect, we need to have that in his participation. The God who created the universe, who spoke it into existence, who hung the stars in the sky, who created the DNA in our bodies, who has control, Jesus spoke, spoke to the winds to calm down, and they calm down, he has control over the weather, that whatever our prayer, no matter how big it seems to us, is really a simple thing for God. And we kind of think because it's a big thing for us, it's a big thing for God. I like what you said, Pastor Allen, about, about pray big, think big. Let the Lord know that he that you're requesting of him as a king who has infinite resources. Does that mean we'll get everything we ask for? 
Surely not. But as the scripture of Jesus said, you know, but you have not because you have not asked, because you ask not. You know, we need to pray big. We need to have expectations that things like the walls of Jericho will fall in front of us as God delivers to his people part of the blessings. Now, what are some of those blessings? You know, are we going to go march around acting and watch the walls fall? I'm not likely. The blessings are the walls of our hearts, the walls that are inside us, the, you know, the, the, you know, the fear we have of being exposed, the relationship fears, the things we have of feeling like we might be weak or someone might take advantage of us, the fear we might have of, of talking to our wives, those walls. Those walls will come trashing down the more we get into prayer, the more we begin to hear what God has to say for us. Those are mighty things. You know, I think those are much more mighty than the healing that would drive someone to surgery. Because the scripture says, what does a man gain if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? You know, we are to walk in victory in this life. And the victory, you know, if the scriptures tell us as Christians we're going to be persecuted, put to death, done all these things, then the victory isn't going to be that we're going to, that we're going to win the most land and get the most toys and be kings here in this, in this fallen world. The victory is going to be the peace that passes all understanding and the relationships that we build. Because if we look at heaven, and the scripture speaks a little of heaven, but not a lot. If we look at heaven through the eyes of God, being in the presence of Christ for eternity, as the ultimate experience, and that is our end goal, is it not? It's not having a relationship with Jesus Christ. The purpose is to be in heaven, and heaven is really having a relationship with him for all of eternity. If that's our goal then we have to begin to live that out with faith in this life so that we could bring others because Jesus' desire is for everybody to be there. And he allows us to participate in that. And prayer is the way we begin to understand where he's sending us and what he wants us to do so that we can um, walk with him with a little bit of understanding. You know, I was going to – let me see if I can go. I made these notes. I actually found this. This is notes I made a year ago, and I, I, I wrote it down in the computer, and I stumbled across it, and it says, why are we to pray? We are to pray that Jesus comes quickly. And I'm asking why, I ask myself, why do we pray? You know, when you first look at why we pray, we, we ask for things. We get wisdom. James tells us that anyone lacks wisdom, ask the Lord, and he'll give it to us. We're told to ask for healing. We're told to ask for forgiveness. There are numerous things that we're told to do. But we're also told to pray in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us as we forgive, as we forgive others. Uh, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray. Jesus asked his disciples to pray for him when his hour was near. We're told to pray for one another. You know, as we, as we, and we're told to pray and we think about these things, are these things for the Lord or are they for us? Because if you think about it, forgive us as we forgive others. And if you think, start thinking about the prayers that we're told to pray, well, wow, if I'm supposed to be forgiving, if I'm, you know, forgive me in like manner that I forgive those around me, then that begins to change me. If I pray for the peace of Jerusalem, it's not the new heavens and the earth and the new Jerusalem, our future home. We pray for, pray for the peace of our future home. Is that not a prayer for us, for the home that we're going to have, that the Lord's gone away to prepare a place for us? You know, when he asked to pray for his disciples to pray with him, he gave them an opportunity to share in that ministry that, you know, in his, in his greatest need, the hour you know, before he was going to be crucified. Hey, I'm going to give you guys to, to play a part here. You know, pray for one another. Jesus said, by this the whole world will know that you are my disciples. You know, love one another, pray for one another. It's an opportunity to begin to carry each other's burdens. You know, the purpose of this living this life 
really is to impact others to the blessing and grace that we've already gotten if we're walking with Christ. You know, we're being sanctified um, as we walk this earth. The sanctification is the process of becoming like Christ in our soul. We've already been admitted to the kingdom of heaven through justification. We want to become more like Christ. Well, we have to begin to reach out to those that Christ Christ said, I didn't come to heal the well, I came to heal the sick. And we have to begin to be those people. And so as we, if we don't have prayer, we're not going to begin to understand how he wants us to walk in that. You know, I was thinking about, we talked a little earlier about Paul not being able to heal people. But you know, everywhere he left somebody, now he left an elder, he left a, a minister in the church. I wonder if there's any strategy in the way that worked out. Gosh, can't take you, Timothy, or whoever who, who was sick, Mark. So stay here and minister to these people when you get well. You know, Paul ends up in prison. Now, he's running around doing all this thing, and all of a sudden he's in a Roman prison. It, it takes him a while to get there, but from that prison's where he wrote the epistles so that we now have the insight that the Lord poured into him. You know, and Paul was very receptive to where the Lord was sending him. You know, and sometimes Paul had a dream, and he had a vision, and that, man, that is great. Man, I wish I'd wake up, or I'd have a vision, and the Lord says, you know, Steve, I don't want you to do this. I want you to go over here and do that. That makes it real easy. But that didn't always happen to Paul. Paul said, well, I didn't know what to do, so we went <coughs> north. And we couldn't go there, so we went south. We couldn't go We went west. Well, I guess there's only one direction left to go. And and that's God sometimes communicating. Sometimes what he doesn't want us to do is sit there and do nothing. You know, sometimes we get where we feel like we're, well, I'm going to be spiritual, and I'm not going to do anything until I hear from the Lord. And I'm going to tell you, that's an important thing to do, is wait on the Lord make sure that you're not so busy that you're not hearing him. We should stop, listen, and wait. But there also comes a time to make a decision and do something. You know, I've known people who have sat for years not working a job because they're waiting for the Lord to tell them where to go to work. You know, and but I'm gonna, you know, I want to be obedient to what God has for me. And said, well, you know, the Scripture says a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. Go do something. You know, I had a out of out of college, I had a couple of interviews. And I had a I had a uh, interview with Boeing Aerospace in Huntsville, Alabama, and you know they were working on the space station project, and that was something I was super interested in doing, and I and I really wanted to do that. I thought that'd be a pretty good job, and I was trying to lay it down for the Lord, and I said, you know, Lord, if it is not your will for me, and I'm going to say. If you don't want the Lord to change up your, you don't need to make that prayer. Lord, I want to be in your will because he's going to take you up on that. You know, and I said, Lord, I really think I like this place. But if it's not your will, then close that door. And I had another job offer down in Vicksburg, Mississippi. And, you know, I I figured it all out. I'd gone through the gymnastics. I'd done all the interviews. Um and I decided I was going to take that job in Huntsville, Alabama. And I called up Boeing and said, I'm going to accept the job. I can be there tomorrow. You know, whatever it is. And they said, man, that's great. We're so looking forward to having you come here. You know, and as soon as the hiring feast that came out this morning is lifted, you have the first job. Well, how long is that going to be? Well, we don't know. A couple six months, we don't know these things. And it just came out that morning. And I'm sitting there saying, well, I did ask the Lord, if he doesn't want me in Huntsville, close the door. You know, but he didn't do that until I made a move. I had been patient. I had I prayed about it. I sought the Lord. I was looking to see. I was I was getting nothing. You know, I had two job offers. I was getting nothing. All right. I'm going to make a decision. Lord, I don't know what you want me to do. This is the direction I'm going to go. You are powerful enough 
that if I am moving the wrong direction, it will be nothing for you to change that. And boom, door closed. And so, you know, I think as part of as we pray about stuff, sometimes actions required. You know, we need to be careful that we're not being presumptuous. But sometimes God, as men, wants us to step forward and take some action. You know, and God is more than capable of changing our direction if he needs to, just like he did with Paul. You know, and sometimes he needs you to move in some direction to get you off your spot before he can move you in the right direction. Because we get tunnel vision. I have this verse written down, Psalm 119.71. Um, I'll look that. You got that one, Greg? It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. You know, this goes back to us remembering that sometimes when our prayers aren't answered, we're in a different direction, we're going a different place. We don't often see it when we're in the midst of whatever our crisis is. But I can tell you, when I look back on my life, the very crises I had were the very best things that happened to me because they moved me to where I needed to be. Um, and so, again, as prayer, I got one more thing I want to talk about, and then I'm going to sum it up. I'm going to talk a little bit about Hezekiah the king. He was a guy that prayed. I'm in Second Kings, and I'll read this. Second um, Kings, uh, chapter 19. Chapter 19 is a story about the Syrians attacking. Jerusalem. And God tells him in verses 1 through 7, I am going to deliver you from the Assyrians. In verses 8 through 14, the Assyrians say, don't listen to that God. What does he know? Is he going to be there when you guys are beat up and torn up and all that? Don't be so foolish. You know, they, they threaten back. And, you know, there's a lot of naysayers out there that, you know, don't pray for big things. You know, you don't want to make God mad. God's really not going to deliver. He doesn't really love us that much. Whatever. you got to push past whatever the enemy's throwing at us. And I want to read these verses 15 through 19, because this is how Hezekiah prayed. And you talk about praying and knowing the God who you serve. In verses 15, chapter 19, Then Hezekiah prayed, before the Lord and said, O Lord God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God, you alone, of all kingdoms, of all the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear to hear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Hear the words of, well, I'm not going to be good at pronouncing this, how do you pronounce that? Yes, Sennacherib, who was the king of Assyria, which he has sent reproach to reproach the living God. Truly, Lord, the king of Assyria has laid waste to the nations and their lands, and has cast out their God, and have cast out their gods into the fire, and they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore. For destroy them. Now therefore, O Lord our God, I pray you save us from his hand, all that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord God alone. You know, I like the way he approaches this. You're the guy that creates the heavens, the stars. You you rest between the cherubim. He's talking about there, I believe is in the Ark of the Covenant, they had cherubims. And nobody could, when it was in the, in the temple or in the tabernacle, no one could come into that area without fear of being destroyed because 
it was the Holy of Holies, and if a man were to go into that area um, and his heart had sin in it or whatever, he could be killed. And what they would do is they'd send a priest in once a year to clean it, and they'd tie a rope on him so that if he had a bad thought or whatever was on there, they could pull his dead body out. Um, and he's sitting here saying, you reside between the." He's making a statement of how great and powerful he is. Um, and he's laying his request out. You know, in the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You know, the first thing we do in prayer is establish who God is. You know, we're not praying to some, you know, idol that someone made or somebody that walked the earth with had a good life but died and didn't get resurrected. We're worshiping Jesus Christ who had lived a perfect life, was murdered, and overcame death on our behalf. We, we, we are worshiping a powerful God. Jesus tells us to pray in his name. But I think it's important to acknowledge the God we pray to if we want to see results. And so that's why I wanted to throw this out about Hezekiah. Hezekiah also later is told that his life is over, and he turns around and prays. And the prophet literally turns around before he can even leave the courts and comes back, God, God's given you another 15 years. Yeah. You can find that story in uh, chapter 20, verses 1 through 5. He prayed. He prayed sincerely. He prayed heartily. So, you know, in conclusion, I think that when we pray, we need to kind of have a perspective of, you know, I don't know how God's seeing this, but I want to line my prayers up with God's prayers. I try to pray, you know, here's here's what I want, Lord, but not your will, not my will, but your will. I want to line up with his heart. I want my heart to line up with his heart. You know, I'm not going to see answers to my prayers until I'm praying in his will what it is he wants. And I get that by fellowshipping with other believers, by reading the scripture, by being in prayer. You know, meditating on the word. There's, we're told in the scriptures to in we're told in First Thessalonians, verse five sixteen or verse seventeen to pray without ceasing. The um, we need a. I know I need to always be in prayer, and I'm certainly not in prayer nearly enough. I need to keep the perspective that I can't see it from God's point of view, but I know I need to ask for stuff with the expectation, pray big, pray in faith that he is actively working and doing something, and that it will change my heart and mind to line up with what he wants to do so that when I do that, then I am really going to see big results knowing that he's going to try to bring as many people. Jesus says he's not going to lose a single one. He doesn't need us to to save people, but he likes to use us to let us share in that so that we can store up our own treasures in heaven by sharing in the work that he is doing on this earth as a blessing. And so when our prayers don't get answered in the affirmative, there's probably a real blessing in that and that he's giving us an opportunity to store up treasures in heaven by going through something. And if we go through it with prayer, supplication, and with faith, then we'll either reap the benefits in this world, like Job did in the end, or we'll store up treasures in heaven, but we will see it more clearly. We'll have more of the peace that passes understanding that he, that he tells us that is a sign of being a Christian. So that pretty much winds it up. Um, I'm going to read this prayer that I wrote a long time ago. I'll just close it as a prayer. And then we want to open up to questions. Father, you are merciful and mighty. You are gentle to us and strong in your protection. You cover our sins by your love. You do not unnecessarily expose us. Love covers a multitude of sins. You love us, and I don't know why. I'm just glad you did. What can I do to impress you, help you, earn anything? Absolutely nothing. 
you have chosen to be all for to be all for and give to me in spite of myself. Thank you. We pray in Jesus' name that you will guide each of us in the path that you want for us to walk, lining our hearts up with you and guiding our minds to be more in line with the mind of Christ and help our actions to show our love for one another and show the glory of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray that. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, Steve. It's a big subject, man. Just a shotgun effect. Anybody else? Questions or comments? Great job. Great job. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Hey, guys. Hey, what's going on? Hello. How you doing? Any comments? Uh, no, I just agreed with um, what he says. With, uh, sometimes God doesn't necessarily give you what you want, you know. Whether or not we believe it's for, at the time, a good reasoning. Uh, you know, most of the time, whenever we want something, we're going to go, oh, we want that, we need that. But, you know, it it doesn't necessarily mean it's it's good for us. So God will take stuff away or do things or say no to us for a reason, whether we realize it at that time or not. And it just takes faith to understand, like, okay, there's a reason why you're telling me no. So I just got to go by faith and go from there. Is this Anthony? It is. Where Where are you at, man? Uh, I'm actually at home. My little one got sick, so. And bless your heart. Well, thank you for calling in. Uh, yeah, one thing Steve didn't have time to touch on is sometimes our prayers involve the will of people. <laughs> you know, praying <laughs> yeah. for their hearts to change, and man, that that takes a while sometimes because God seems to have given us this will that He respects to a certain point. He's obviously able to override someone's will, but what I see in the scriptures, he does it for a season, and then he backs off and lets the person make their mind up. It's That's like right. he gives them a wake-up call. I'm a strong believer in, in praying for God to give people wake-up calls. He'll do it. But rest assured, they may, they, they may not respond to that. Some people have to go the long way to surrendering to the Lord's will. Anyway, thank you, uh, Anthony, for your, for your thoughts there. Anybody else there with anything? Not as hell. I just, I just <coughs> want to say uh, thanks, Steve, for investing the time that he invested in this presentation because obviously he has, he has dug deep into it. So thanks, Steve. 